This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. This, 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 this is Equity Mates on tour. Equity Mates goes to Wall Street. I will say this about investing: everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at twenty is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing, and we are here in the states on the Equity Mates US tour. With my co-host Ren, how are you? I'm uh, very good, Bryce. Well, uh, you can actually hear it in my voice. I'm a bit stuffed up. Yeah, big night last night. <sighs> big week and a half. It has been a big week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're on a mattress that deflates every night. Oh, it is unbelievable. <laughs> Bryce is sleeping on a king bed. <laughs> I am in the other room on an air mattress that has a hole in it (laughs) and so it's only a tiny hole so I fill it up and then probably about once a night I'll wake up on a deflated air mattress and I have to reinflate it yes and then Alf is on a couch yes now whilst it is a business trip we obviously aren't doing the everyone stays in a hotel room vibe we are well I mean business is good but it's not yeah. Three hotel rooms we in are, New York. Yeah, we're f- fiscally responsible. For context, we're staying at a mate's place in Brooklyn, which is awesome. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the sleeping arrangements were such that it required a closest to the pin guessing competition yes. to who to who would get for who would get the king size bed, who would get the couch, and who would get the air mattress. Yes. You came second, but we weren't aware that the air mattress had a hole in it. Rookie. Didn't do my due diligence. <laughs> and that's a good investing lesson right <laughs> yes. there. Now uh, Bryce and I might end up sharing a bed. Hey, mm. you've been... Uh, well, now I've been absolutely tr- usurped and I think tonight I'm going to be on cushions on the floor. True. Yeah, we've got a few extra guests tonight. Uh, yes. Anyway, that's enough yes. about our sleeping arrangement. Yes. This podcast isn't about where we sleep at night. No. It's actually about us learning to invest so our money can go to work while we sleep at night. That's right. Now, uh, while we are licensed, we are not aware of your financial circumstances. So any information on this show is for entertainment and education purposes only any advice is general now and uh, if you are just getting started investing we do have a sister podcast get started investing uh, that really goes through the basics Um, so plenty of content wherever you are on your investing journey but Bryce wherever we are on our investing journey is New York we are in New York so in today's episode we're going to pick it up from where we left off at the end of Omaha uh, have a bit of a chat about what's happening here in New York and then go through uh, some of the stock picks that have just been put through from the Sone conference here in New York Uh, we're going to draft uh, and make a bit of a portfolio each for those six companies but before we kick into that a massive thank you to Milford for uh, sponsoring the US tour They are a leading New Zealand fund manager and they are now available for Australian investors and advisors. Milford's flexible active management strategies and high-performing globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong long-term returns while managing downside risk. Milford's team also invest in the same funds as their clients so you know that they're highly motivated because they're on the journey with you. Find the Milford funds on your trading platform or at milfordasset.com.au and before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au 
Thank you to Milford for getting us to New York. Yes. Now, Bryce, you mentioned the SOAN conference. For people that aren't familiar with it, it's a, a charitable endeavour. Um, they raise money for... Uh, medical research and the way that they do it is a whole bunch of fund managers get together and pitch their best ideas and it's I think about four thousand dollars a ticket yeah um, it started in New York there's now a conference there's a number of conferences around the world including one in Australia but we were in New York for the Sone conference Little did we know it was actually online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, we did actually look at it before we came with the hope of actually going. But, yeah, a lot of it was – well, it was all online. Yeah. So, um, which was a shame because uh, they had some amazing they, – they always get really high-quality speakers. Yeah. Um, and, and that continued this year. Uh, they have a few sort of keynote presentations and then uh, essentially these expert investors get up and pitch – a high conviction idea. Yeah, so we, they don't publish the stock picks. No. But we have found seven of the stocks that were pitched. Yeah. Well, six stocks and one bond. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk about that. But the, the keynotes, as you said, some pretty big names. Mm. Um, Patrick Collison, the co-founder of Stripe, yep. the payments uh, processor, uh, interviewed Sam Altman, the co-founder of OpenAI. Uh, for me, that was a super interesting conversation. Uh, and then Stanley Druckenmiller was interviewed, one of the – a legendary investor. Yeah. And, and then uh, the chief investment officer of Bridgewater Associates uh, was also interviewed by Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Yeah. So some big names there. And what we've done is pulled out some of our favourite bits – from the three keynotes. Yeah. So we start with Patrick Collison in conversation with Sam Altman. Incredibly AI-focused, as you would expect, but uh, here's a few key highlights from their conversation. And, uh, and thank you, Sam, uh, for being with us. Uh, last year, I actually interviewed uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, which, was, uh, which was clearly the wrong Sam to be interviewing. So it's, uh, it's good to correct it you know, this year with okay. the, uh, the right Sam. All right, so... Uh, I presume almost everyone in the audience is a chat GPT user. Uh, what is your most common chat GPT use case? Like not when you're, you know, testing something, just you actually want to get, you know, where, where chat GPT is purely, a, you know, an instrumental tool for you. Summarization by far. I don't know how I would still keep, I wouldn't still keep up with email uh, and Slack without it. Um, but, you know, posting a bunch of email or Slack messages into it, hopefully we'll like build some better plugins for this over time. But even doing it the manual way works pretty well. Uh, have any plugins become part of your workflow yet? Browsing and the code interpreter once in a while, but honestly, they have not, for me personally, they have not yet kind of like tipped into a daily habit. You know, think whatever you want about crypto and the ups and downs, but the fact that the U.S. is the worst country in the world to have a crypto company in or you just can't offer it at all is sort of a big statement, like historically big statement. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's hard to think of the last technology for which that was the case. Maybe like the Europeans are supposed to do this, not us. Yeah, su su supersonic air travel or something for like yeah, the US is like more that. restrictive than, yeah. Should nuclear secrets be classified? Probably yes. I don't know how effective we've been there. I, I think the reason that we have avoided nuclear disaster is not solely attributable to the fact that we classified the secrets, but that we did something, we did a number of smart things and we got lucky. You know, the like amount of energy needed, at least 
for a long time was like huge and sort of required the power of nations. So first of all, I think it is always a mistake to draw too much inspiration from a previous technology. Every, everybody wants the analogy. Everybody wants to say, oh, it's like this or it's like that, or we did it like this, so we're going to do it like that again. And the shape of every technology is just different. However, I think nuclear materials and AI supercomputers do have some similarities. And this is a place where we can draw more than usual parallels and inspiration. But I would caution people to, to overlearn the lessons of the last thing. I think something like an IAEA for AI, like, and I and I realize how naive this sounds and how difficult it is to do, but getting a global regulatory agency that everybody everybody signs up for for extremely powerful AI training systems seems to me like a very important thing to do. So I think that's like one lesson we could learn. But what the world needs is not more AI safety people who like post on Twitter and write long philosophical diatribes. It needs more people who are like going to do the technical work to make these systems safe and reliably aligned. And uh, I think that's happening. It'll be a combination of people that have that good ML researchers shifting their focus and new people coming into the field. How much important ML research comes out of China? I would love to know the answer to that question. Like how much it, does it come out of China that we get to see? Not very much. Uh, so yes, yes. I mean, from the published literature. Non-zero, but not a giant amount. Do you have any sense as to why? Because, you know, the like the cardinal, like the, the number of published papers is very large. And there are a lot of Chinese researchers in the U.S. who do, you know, fantastic work. And so why is the kind of per paper impact from the Chinese stuff relatively low? I mean, what a lot of people suspect is they're just not publishing the stuff that is most important. Do you think that's likely to be true? I have, I don't trust my intuitions here. ChatGPT is the only AI product I use daily. Is there a, uh, is there an AI product that you wish existed and that you think the capability that our current capabilities make possible or will very soon make possible that you're looking forward to? I would like a co-pilot like product that controls my entire computer. Mm -hmm. So they can like look at my Slack and my email and Zoom and iMessages and my like massive to-do list documents and just like kind of do most of my work. So some kind of Siri plus plus sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. And you mentioned, you know, curing cancer. Uh, is there an obvious application of these techniques and technologies to science that again, you think we have or are having capabilities for that you don't people, see people obviously pursuing today? There's a boring one and an exciting one. The boring answer is that if you can just make really good tools like that one I just mentioned and accelerate individual scientists, each by a factor of three or five or 10 or whatever, um, that probably increases the rate of scientific discovery by a lot, even though it's like not directly doing science itself. The more exciting one is I do think that same, a similar system could go off and start to read all of the literature, think of new ideas, do some limited tests in simulation, email a scientist and say, hey, can you run this for me in the wet lab? All right, Bryce, well, that's two of the best tech minds in the world in conversation. Super interesting. Um, mm. The good news is all three of these keynotes are available in full on the shown YouTube. We'll include the three links in the show notes. It's just the actual stock pictures that you don't get access yeah. to unless you pay the 
thousands of dollars yeah, or yeah. you find the right Twitter account. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but that, so that was the first keynote. Let's get to the second one, uh, which was a conversation with Stanley Druckenmiller. So this picks up midway through uh, an answer from Stanley. Uh, essentially, he kind of summarises the environment that we're in, uh, but the more interesting part is where to from here. So this is uh, him picking up from uh, we're at a point of uh, increase in interest rates. Last year, you told me you thought the US recession would arrive in the last half of 23 or early 24, but you recently told me that you brought your recession forecast forward. You're hearing lots of anecdotal information from the CEOs you talk to, problems in trucking, problems in retail, obviously credit contraction issues. And you believe that the consensus of a soft landing is very unlikely. And you rate the probabilities of a hard landing as quite high. After all, how could we not have a hard landing after 11 years of the greatest monetary stimulus in U.S. history? A 500 basis point increase in short rates over the past year. The developing real estate uh, crisis in commercial real estate. Regional banks have 33% of their loans in that sector. And the bursting of the everything. Realizing they had probably made the biggest mistake in the history of the Fed, they slammed on the brakes. Um, they've raised rates 500 basis points in the last year. Um, we know historically two things which you've already articulated. Number one, um, the worst economic outcomes tend to follow uh, two easily engineered um, asset bubbles. And number two, big maximum my business don't fight the Fed. So I'm sitting here staring in the face at the biggest asset and probably the broadest asset bubble. Forget that I've ever seen that I've ever studied. But now we have a big hike in interest rates. So this is the second conversation was between uh, Kirill Solikoff uh, and Stanley Druckenmiller. We'll actually hopefully get Kirill on, this, um, on the show at some point. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, also Stanley Druckenmiller, hopefully. Also Stanley <laughs> at some point. Now, um, this conversation is really around Stanley's thoughts on uh, wh- where the global economy is heading, particularly the US. And to summarise 50 minutes of conversation, we are fucked is, his, <laughs> is uh, really the point that he's making it's hard to look at that constellation of factors know that we've only had a few soft landings since 1950 all of them were were preceded by what i would call proactive rather than reactive fed policy and believe we're going to have a soft landing one never knows but if you're just looking at the odds they're very tough in terms of the timing um, I have le- much less certainty on that than I do on whether we're going to have a hard landing or a soft landing. The timing um, is difficult, but I will say you've already noted in, in our shop, we tend to use anecdotal information a lot. It's somewhat mixed. Um, housing, which has tended to lead historically, is actually um, fairly, fairly robust. Um, travel, restaurants, stuff like that is fairly robust. But other stuff, um, 
trucking, which has been a guiding light for my firms in terms of economic forecasting with a six to eight month lead time, um, actually since I got in the business, is extremely weak. We're hearing bad, bad anecdotes from retail. And then of course you have the, you've already mentioned it, the, the banking problem. We always knew, um, given what I've already described, there were gonna be bodies out there. When you have free money, um, people do stupid things. When you have free money for 11 years, people do really stupid things. So there's stuff under the hood, it's starting to emerge. Obviously the regional banks, recently we had Bed Bath & Beyond, but I would assume there's a lot more bodies coming. The regional banks, the median regional bank has 43% of their um, loans in commercial real estate, about 40% of that is office. As you know, we've had this huge change in lifestyle um, due to COVID. Number one, the great resignation, but number two, people are going to the office. So we have actually a higher vacancy rate than we had in 2008. So I put all that together and I look also at the inverted yield curve. The timing has always said sort of third to probably fourth quarter of this year to first quarter of 24. But the recent anecdotes, the banking problems, I wouldn't be surprised if the bean counters a year from now, as they tend to do backward looking, that the thing started sometime in the second quarter. I don't know that, but I do this for a living, so I gotta have a forecast. There's a possibility that they can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. If there's one thing about the consensus that I'd say I'm on the other side of, and I wanna be careful with my words here, um, it's this constant repeating that this looks like nothing like 2008 or 2007. First of all, those saying it, I don't remember them predicting in 2007 what was ahead of them. And I don't remember people saying the banking system was that weak going in. Um, I, I am not predicting something worse than 2008. So I don't wanna see headlines tomorrow that I said something worse than 2008 is coming. But I think it's naive to not be open-minded to some sort of possibility of that effect. The, the banks have got themselves in a balance sheet problem um, before the loan losses have started because of um, obviously the mismatch of liabilities and assets with treasuries on their balance sheet. They basically have stuff yielding two, two and a half percent that their cost of funds is 5% on. So before we even get into an economic contraction, many of the banks already have impaired balance sheets. If you pile on um, losses in commercial real estate, credit card losses, the stuff that normally happens in recessions, and you take the fact that we have had this big asset bubble going into it, and you take the fact that we just had the most rapid increase in interest rates, from the bottom in, in history, I think it's just naive not be open-minded to something really, really bad happening. All right, Ren, the final one, which was a conversation between Patrick O'Shaughnessy uh, and the CIO of Bridgewater, Karen Carniel-Tambor. Uh, they covered a wide variety of topics, so uh, here are some of the key highlights. I would say that the theme thus far today of the 
big conversations, the sort of fireside chats like this one has been this clash of what I'll call macro headwinds that Stan Druckenmiller just laid out for us and technology tailwinds, most specifically the revolution that's going on in the world of artificial intelligence that Patrick Collison and Sam Altman started the day with this morning. I would love to hear your take on something like AI. China comes out of, you know, two decades with a slow train was kind of going through and making its way through our economy. And this happened all over the world. And I think when I look at what's happening with AI, the big obvious question is, are we about to go through this again and way, way, way bigger? Because when you look at estimates, and again, I'm certainly not an expert in technology, but you look at OpenAI's estimates, you look at Goldman's estimates, they all have different methodologies. They all say the percentage of labor market that could be affected by AI in the same way that globalization and automation touch manufacturing, it's a much bigger bite in theory. So you could be hitting a bigger sloth than the people in manufacturing. And that effect might be even faster and even bigger than what we just lived through. And we're still dealing with the aftershocks of all that. So it's not really something I think people can ignore. For investors out there that are thinking big picture, are there certain things that you watch most closely or might begin to watch most closely as this unfolds? Well, the big thing is it has to be big enough to offset the massive inflationary forces that are going the other way. So everything else in the world is kind of going the other way, right? I think that if you look at what companies are doing right now, Sure, some companies are already integrating AI. We have to figure out how fast that's going to happen. But companies all over, I think it's the biggest wave of what I would call non-economic spending companies have ever had to do, which is that big wave I was talking about from 1990. Every time a company spent a dollar, they pretty much knew it was going to reduce their cost base. They knew it was going to be deflationary. So they were spending money to take money out of the cost base to go make that the, the, the worker more productive to go make their supply chain more efficient to go move things to China. Now companies are basically being told to go make your supply chains more resilient instead. And what does that mean? That basically means go spend money to become in some sense less productive, right? I have the most productive supply chain today and I have to go double do. I have to go spend twice. And they're also being told you should go and decarbonize. That's a great idea. The world greatly needs that, but that's not spending that tomorrow you're saving money on. It's in some sense, you have to rebuild the whole energy infrastructure. In that moment, it's inflationary. We're being told, let's go, you know, subsidize all sorts of things in order to get more competitive and build things domestically we didn't need to build domestically before. So that's a massive wave of pretty not economic spending that is kind of a structural inflationary force. And that's already some number of years in the making. Right now, I think that wave, if you will, is ahead of the AI wave in terms of companies need to do that spending. It's already kind of a system. It's also going slowly. It's not like anybody's about to go you know, completely get out of China, but that is a structural inflationary force. And what we have to watch is sort of how will that structural potential deflationary force that could massively upend the economy called technology and AI, at what pace is that going to go and what's going to be faster and better and stronger. And the biggest thing I worry is just, it's just a more volatile environment, if you will. You just have a, you have a likelihood for more volatile inflation, more volatile shifts. AI might move a lot faster than globalization and automation did. And that causes the assets you hold to look very different. Yeah, exciting but dangerous seems to be the the summary of applying some of these technologies to investing. It, Bridgewater's famous daily observations note that it sends to its investors and others uh, often lays out big picture things in fairly simple terms. If you were writing one of those tomorrow about just the general state of capital markets, what would be the key themes of your view today looking forward? I think the simplest thing I would say is that the world is changing really rapidly 
And capital markets tend to be slow to adapt when things structurally change. Because people trade based on their own experience. They trade based on what they're used to. They've, you know, kind of they have lived experiences in the markets that are a certain way. And so whenever you see big structural changes, markets tend to lag that, tend to just take time for investors to kind of follow up on that. And, you know, the most obvious case of this is, look, inflation's been running well above what the Fed wants to be for a while. And markets are basically telling you, don't worry, the Fed is always right. And if it wants inflation to be 2%, it's going to be 2% and it's going to work out. And so almost no matter what happens to inflation, if you were to tell me, you know, wake me up in the middle of the night five years ago and say inflation would be high it is, what do you think markets would expect? I wouldn't have expected the markets would say, don't worry, it's going to go back. It's going to go away. The Fed will always get what it wants. I think it's the nature of the Fed's been so successful and central banks have been so successful for so long um, in containing inflation that it kind of underpins people's expectations. And so you've kind of set up in this world where a lot of what was true about the last 40 years, deflationary, and because of that, um, it was very easy to always make money in risky stuff. The reason it was easy to make money in risky stuff is that every time anything went wrong, central banks could just solve it because there was no tension in what they were experiencing. It was pretty much, if things are bad, ease. If things are bad, ease. Why? Because if there's not going to be any inflation, there's nothing wrong with easing. You can just always ease as much as you want. There's no tension. Just go make growth as well as you can. You'll never get inflation. So, Bryce, as we come out of that third keynote, it's just a reminder of how great some of the speakers are in these US conferences. Mm. Patrick Collison, the co-founder of the biggest, one of the biggest private companies, private startups in the world, Mm. uh, and one of the smartest people going around. Sam Altman, co-founder of the hottest company at the moment, Mm. uh, OpenAI. Mm. Then you've got two legendary investors, Kirill Solikoff, founder of 13 Day Research, and Stanley Druckenmiller, uh, and then you finish off with Patrick O'Shaughnessy, host of the biggest investing podcast in the world, yes. with the CIO of the biggest hedge fund in the world. Yeah. It's a superstar lineup. It is, it is. And no wonder they've raised, I think it's over $85 million since founding the Sone Conference towards uh, medical research. But, Ren, we're going to take a quick break. <laughs> the irony is that any one of those six people could probably just double. That Easily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, Ren, we're going to take a quick break. And then on the other side, we're going to dig into seven of the stocks that were pitched on the day at the Sone conference. And we're going to draft uh, each of them uh, to create a portfolio ourselves. So let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Ever wonder why fund managers can't beat the S&P 500? Because they're sheep, and sheep get slaughtered. Wall Street 2023. This is Equity Mates on tour. We want to say a massive thank you to Milford for powering the Equity Mates US tour. If you want to give your portfolio an offensive and defensive strategy, check out Milford's award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. Utilising the skills of Milford's experienced investment team, the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund has been focusing on delivering a smoother journey for investors for over half a decade. With an emphasis on managing risk and generating absolute returns, this lower volatility equity fund can play a key role in a diversified 
diversified portfolio. The fund strives for long-term capital growth while mitigating the ups and downs typically experienced when investing in share markets. Find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund, ticker symbol MFOA, on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. Ren, we're sitting here in New York City uh, as part of the Equimates US tour, and we've just listened to some of the keynote presentations from the Sewn Hearts and Mind conference, and now it is time to jump into six of the stocks that were pitched by some of the world's best investors. How this is going to work, we're going to each take it in turns to draft one of the stocks and uh, create a portfolio. Yep, uh, let's let's do it. Some of these stocks, I guess, are more known than yep. others. Yes, and we should say so. There were there were six stocks that we found that have been pitched. So we'll talk about them. There was a seventh stock pitch. Well, a seventh pitch, which was for bonds for a company called Level Three. And I was googling them. There's not a lot of, about them online. Level Three's parent company is called Lumen. Heard of that company? Mm, I don't know. I hadn't, so I googled them, and here's what. Uh, so this isn't part of the pit. The this isn't part of the draft. No, because it's like bonds it's for bond. a company yeah. that we don't know that we can't like. We can't buy these bonds, and yeah. because we don't have the yeah. yeah. So, um, but I just want to I just want to tell you what I found. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Lumen Technologies, enterprise technology for the digital revolution. Okay. Does, is this more descriptive? Lumen is a global enterprise technology platform enabling companies to capitalise on emerging applications and the data-powering modern business. No. What does it do? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to worry about the bonds for that company. We'll no. just focus on the six stock pitches. Yeah, nice. Okay. <laughs> Who's going to start? Whoever... Ha- yeah. uh, whoever... Has the worst sleeping arrangements. <laughs> Fine, you can go first. <laughs> uh, we'll, no, we'll do a rock off. Okay. Not good. It's not scissors, good. Scissors, paper, rock. Scissors, paper, rock. Ren wins. I win. With a paper over pa- a rock. Paper wins. I don't know uh, what yeah. I'm saying. <laughs> paper beats rock. Let's go. All right. So let's uh, let's go through these stock pitches. Um, I am going to draft first. We've got six companies on the board. I am going to pick a company that I'd never heard of before, Vitesco. Okay. Heard of them? No. They are a German automotive supplier for drivetrain and powertrain technologies. Okay. Uh, They make components for electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. The reason that I'm going to pick them first uh, is because of the person that pitched the Mm. stock, David Ironhorn. Mm. Uh, Now, we would have loved to get him in New York, uh, we what? did actually get a response from his team. It was a hard no, though, wasn't it? It was a, it was a nice no. It yeah, was, yeah. It was, yeah. It was an emphatic no. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so for people who aren't familiar, David Einhorn is... He's a really well-known investor and really accomplished who has had... Outside of the last year or two, he's done quite well, but he's had about 10 years of terrible performance. <laughs> He famously was short Tesla yeah. and Elon Musk made short shorts and yes. sent them to him. Yes. Um, uh, and he lost a lot of money on that Tesla short. Um, but David Einhorn, he's had a couple of good years. His style of value investing uh, may have gone out of fashion, but it's, it's come back a little bit um, in 2022 and 2023. 
Um, but this just feels like quite an interesting company. Two and a half billion euro market cap. Um, it's seen as a major beneficiary for this electric vehicle boom. Uh, it's not profitable yet, but um, Ironhorn thinks that it will triple its uh, earnings by 2026 as a lot of as there's a, a level of like rationalization in the electric vehicle market. A lot of electric vehicle makers right now aren't making a lot of money or aren't making any profit at all because competition's hot, they're fighting for market share. But he thinks as the industry starts to mature a little bit more, um, then the companies that are supplying electric vehicle companies will do better. Mm. So that's his pitch. But I, yeah, interesting one, not one that I know a lot about. All right, so I'm going to go with uh, a stock pitched by... um uh, a, f- a female investor called Marla Goanka, and she's the founder of Sergo Capital Partners, another one that we actually tried to reach out to. So, Marla, if you're listening, would be great to get you on the show. She used to work at Lone Pine Capital um, and uh, previously was a, an, a consultant for BCG. But she pitched the London Stock Exchange. Now, the reason I am pitching, uh, getting this in the draft, Ren, is because... She brought to light something that I had no idea about with the London Stock Exchange, which is... So, firstly, $46 billion market cap. Wow. Yeah, pretty big. They're, they're now a data business. Okay. More, more than a stock exchange. So, they acquired a company called Refinitiv, and it's an American sort of British global provider of financial market data and infrastructure. Okay. And since the acquisition... That company or that subsidiary now makes up 67% of revenue for the, global, for the London Stock Exchange. Wow. So it was a, it was a great acquisition. Revenues uh, for, the, for sort of over the last five years were hovering around sort of $2, $2 billion and post-acquisition they're now $6, 7000000000 billion. So serious uh, bolt-on opportunity. And that's why she's pitching it. She said the firm, firm is poised to benefit from this um, and also from the golden area of fixed income and high interest rates. There you go. All right, nice. Well, let's keep this moving. Let's keep talking about the stocks that were pitched by some of the best investors in the world for the name of charity at the Sown Hearts and Minds conference. I'm going to pick a company that we are all familiar with. Okay. Oh, sorry. It's not the Sown Hearts and Minds conference, is it? That's the one in Australia. This not, is just the Sown conference. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to pick Sony. Okay. Trading in Japan, ticker 6758, uh, pitched by Divya Netmi, the founder and chief investment officer of Avala Global. Everyone knows Sony, like the PlayStation, the entertainment businesses, the electronics business. Everyone um, is familiar with Sony, but according to Divya, she thinks that Sony is misunderstood by Wall Street and thinks it could rise 50% through the end of fiscal year 2024. She thinks the assets that they have are misunderstood, but they are market leaders in a lot of the spaces that they play. As almost every business seems to be doing now, they're trying to make that uh, transition to more recurring revenue, uh, like software as a service, uh, distributing things online. To give an example of that, uh, Sony hope. By 2025, 80% of their gaming business 
uh, the revenue will come from subscriptions and from software. Oh, wow. So if you think about, you know, the PlayStation, more and more they're trying to push people to buy things online uh, rather than physical discs and more and more they're trying to get you to buy more stuff on the game. Um, loot boxes and I don't know, I don't, I don't have a PlayStation, but... Um, <laughs> That if they can make that tra- transition and it, it becomes less about uh, selling physical games and physical PlayStations and more about distributing things online, uh, just the profit you make on that is so much higher. Mm-hmm. Um, an interesting fact from the Prezo as well, uh, they have the largest image sensor business in the world. Oh, wow. Every iPhone uses Sony's image sensor technology. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... There you go. Image sensor technology. Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Google it. Fair call, fair call. There's a lot happening here in New York. And apologies if you can hear the multiple sirens going on outside. City that never sleeps. Just like Ren on his air mattress. So City that never sleeps at 12.30pm on 1230. a Thursday. Thursday. So the second uh, stock going into my portfolio, Ren, is uh, a company called Marathi Therapeutics. It was pitched by um, an investment firm called Boxer Capital. Now, Boxer Capital specialise in biotechnology investments, so they certainly know what they're talking about. Uh, Marathi Therapeutics is an oncology company that obviously focuses on um, cancer therapeutics. Interestingly, it has a $3 billion market cap, but also has a billion dollars in cash on the balance sheet. Now, the pitch here was around two things. Firstly, their lead drug received approval in December of 2022, so late last year, which is great news. Uh, And secondly, the company is down 80% from its all-time highs. So a billion on the balance sheet, three billion market cap, uh, really valuing the company at about $2 billion, uh, the market valuing the company at about $2 billion. The pitch was that there's just uh, meaningful upside given where the the price has fallen, the drug's just been approved. They they obviously feel like it's in a a position where that stock's going to start rebounding. Down 80% from its all-time highs. Yeah, yeah. Quote from the conference, a generational drawdown in biotech. Across the board? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I mean, biotech's just not a part of the market that I've ever invested in because no, it's so reliant sorry. on something that I have zero knowledge know, of, drug approvals. Yeah. yeah. All right, so just to recap where we're at, I've got uh, a th- therapeutics company and the London Stock Exchange. Ren, you've got Sony and uh, Vitesco, the German automotive supplier. Now, there are two pitches left. So for the third pick of the draft, I'm going to pick the company that I think is more interesting of the, the two remaining... Talon Energy. Yes. Currently not listed because it went bankrupt. Yes, yes. (laughs) Not a good start. What a pitch. But it's a nuclear power company. So it owns Susquehanna. Don't know how to pronounce that. But it's a big nuclear power plant. Then it also owns 10 gigawatts of non-nuclear energy production facilities. The company filed for bankruptcy and notably filed for bankruptcy in a period where electricity prices were rising. Not ideal. Uh, But David Rosen from Rubric Capital has pitched it as his, once it 
gets out of bankruptcy, it's going to list again on either the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. He thinks it will list by the end of the year. He thinks the new management team uh, will make it a good investment. Get the job done. So super high risk. Mm. All right. So that leaves you with the final pitch of the conference. Uh, at least that we could find. Not one company, but three. That's right, Ren. So this was a pitch from Andrew Weiss from Weiss Asset Management. uh, And he pitched three Korean holding companies. So the first is SQ Square. The second is Samsung C&T. And the third is LG Corp. Pretty simple pitch here. All three of them are trading at a 70 to 80% discount to their net asset value. According to Andrew. According to Andrew. Uh, He's unclear what's driving the discount other than management and government concerns, which he believes are overblown and and, uh, the market is overreacting. Uh, So pretty easy. Samsung's leader is in jail. (laughs) Oh, it's overblown. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he's really just saying... At some point, he believes that that discount is going to come back, uh, I guess, get back to a bit more closer to parity, and uh, now's the time to get in. Sorry, he was in jail. He was back out. He was back out and still in leadership of the company. He was pardoned in August 2022. So he went to jail in 2021 and then was pardoned in August 2022 and took back over as chairman of Samsung. So, look, three uh, Korean holding companies all trading at big discount. uh, Value play here. um, Similar to... Well, yeah, just a value play. Yeah. Hoping that uh, at some point the market, um, I guess, gets it closer to what they're... Net asset values are. Yeah. Samsung's been uh, come up a few times over the journey here at Equity Mates as a key semiconductor player. Yeah. Alongside TSMC. LG, I feel like we've heard a little bit about as well. Um, not as much. But yeah, an, an interesting one. That's the draft. They're the stock picks we could find from this $4,000 a seat conference. Mm. Um, what my biggest takeaway is just the absolute geographic diversity of the stock pitches. It's an American conference, but there was only one American company... Oh, two American companies pitched. The Nuclear Energy, um, Talon Energy, Mm. and then uh, Marathi Therapeutics. They're Mm. the two American companies. And then aside from that, we've got a Japanese company in Sony, a British company in the London Stock Exchange, a German company in Vitesco, and then three South Korean companies. Yes, no Aussies. Yeah, Come that's on. not surprising. We know, did go down fun. to Wall Street and we asked a few people what their favourite Aussie company was. Yeah. There was a few good answers. Unfortunately, we didn't get inside Wall Street and a lot of people who worked there didn't want to say anything given the nature of their work, uh, but we did find a lot of cool characters. So it's been an awesome trip so far. If you're just tuning in, make sure you check out our Wealth Builders episode that comes out uh, on Thursday. It'll be the second episode of our three-part series where we're digging into some of Warren Buffett's most well-known and uh, uh, discussed investments and some of the lessons that we've taken from those So a massive shout-out as well to Milford. Uh, A lot of global stocks pitched today, Ren, and Milford are a leading New Zealand fund manager who are now available 
for Australian investors and advisors, a global asset manager. Uh, and this tour has been really sponsored and brought to you by Milford. So a huge shout out and thanks to those guys. Yeah, Milford's talented and globally experienced investment team aim to deliver strong long-term returns while managing downside risks. They also invest in the same funds as their clients. Love to see it. So you can strive for a smoother investing journey with Milford's experienced active management and their award-winning Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund. The ticker symbol is MFOA. Find the Milford Australian Absolute Growth Fund and other Milford funds on your trading platforms or at milfordasset.com.au. And before you invest, be sure to read the fund's product disclosure statement and target market determination found at milfordasset.com.au. Love it, Ren. Well, um, that's the final episode for us here in New York, but the content will continue. We've been fortunate enough to speak with some experts over here. So over the coming weeks, we will be releasing those episodes, also continuing with our Wealth Builders episodes, as I said. But we'll um, leave it there and uh, pick it up next week. Sounds good. I'm going to try and get a nap on your palatial king-size bed. Nice. Well, I'm on the floor tonight, so looking forward to it. <laughs> you have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.